We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What up, listener? We wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this Blue Wire podcast. Be sure to show your support to this pod by subscribing and dropping a five-star review on iTunes, a follow on Spotify, or the appropriate dap for any other platform you might be listening on. And if you're enjoying this show, chances are you'll like one of our 75 other sports podcasts. Find more shows you'll love at BlueWirePods.com. Thanks again for listening, and now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Blue Wire. I think I know what if you build it, he will come means. Ooh, why do I not think this is such a good thing? Daddy, there's a man out there on your lawn. Are you a ghost? What do you think? You look real to me. Kevin Costner, Amy Madigan, James Earl Jones, Ray Liotta, Burt Lancaster. Sometimes, when you believe the impossible, the incredible comes true. Field of Dreams. All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast, brought to you by Blue Wire and presented by BetOnline.ag. I am your host, Kyle Banduho. It's week three of Oscars month. Yes, the Oscars are behind us. Yay, Parasite. Yay, Brad Pitt. But we are still chugging along. And this is a big episode, monumental episode for this podcast. Kevin Costner is a sports movie Hall of Famer. Cream of the crop, first ballot. We all know this. Costner forever. We've covered two of his movies already. Uh, Movies I want to revisit down the road. That's Tin Cup, For Love of the Game. Great movies. But today is an an all-timer. It's on the... uh, I guess not not the Costner Mount Rushmore because the sports movies are just in general Mount Rushmore this for it's, it's top two. Top two, I'll say it. Feel the dreams. Don't need to say too much about it because this episode gets into it all. I was extremely fortunate to be joined by Brian Gill from Mad About Movies. You might remember him from our first episode of 2020. Uh, him and Kent Garrison, uh, they're two-thirds of the hosts of Mad About Movies. The guys at Mad About Movies have been in the movie podcast game for longer than nearly anyone he was perfect to deep dive on Field of Dreams. We talked the beauty of baseball, this incredible screenplay and score, and I plead my case for why Mark, the brother of Annie, got a bad edit. 
If you enjoy this episode, go check out Mad About Movies. It's the premier movie podcast out there. And also check out Brian's basketball podcast, Spread the Floor. Links will be in the show notes. Speaking of baseball, uh, guys, you may have seen, if you follow me on Twitter or if you follow Baseball America on Twitter, I have launched a new podcast series in partnership with Baseball America. It's called From Phenom to the Farm. It is an interview series right now focusing on uh, current and ex-professional baseball players and their stories of, of climbing through the minor leagues from high school all the way through their professional career. Been very fortunate to have some great guys share their stories with me. The first episode was released last week with uh, former Braves left-hander Eric O'Flaherty, great guy, great player, pitched in the major leagues for a long time, and was just excellent at sharing his story. Uh, you can check that out. Search from Phenom to the Farm, wherever you get your podcast. Uh, it's a passion project of mine, something I'm really excited about. We have more episodes coming up, going to come out every, uh, every other Tuesday. So if you are a baseball fan or just like hearing the stories of professional athletes, these unique stories, we're going to get guys from all over the professional baseball spectrum. Uh, definitely go check that out. If you're enjoying this podcast and you haven't yet, please subscribe wherever you get your podcast. If you have the time, leave a five-star rating. And if you so wish a review, you guys, you know, always harp on it. You know what those ratings do for the podcast. I really appreciate all those. And I will read out all new reviews at time of recording. Let me know what you think. Um, let me know what movies you're looking forward to coming up. Let me know what guests you like. Uh, you know, keep me in the loop on how you guys are liking the podcast. If this is your first episode, go back and check See if we've covered any of your favorites or least favorites in the past. Uh, I try to keep all episodes pretty evergreen. You can follow at big underscore screen sport on Twitter or on Instagram at big screen sports pod for upcoming episode info and uh, just general sports movie content. We have a good time on the socials. Uh, next week, we're going to wrap up Oscars month with a legitimate old classic pride of the Yankees, but let's get to feel the dreams because the voice is telling us to. Okay, I am joined today for the third episode of Oscars Month by a guy who appeared on an episode earlier this year, one of my favorite episodes that I've recorded this podcast where we broke down the our, our five favorite sports movies of the uh, the previous decade. It is the co-host of Mad About Movies and Spread the Floor, Brian Gill. Brian, thank you so much for returning to Big Screen Sports. Yeah, Kyle, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be here. Of course. Um, before we, we get going with today's episode, let us know what you guys have going on at Mad About Movies and Spread the Floor and where the folks can follow those podcasts. Sure. Yeah, Mad About Movies, uh, we just celebrated our, I think we're in our seventh year of podcasting now. And so our 600th episode, by the time this episode is out, uh, for your, your listeners and your feed, our 600th episode will be out on our main feed. And that's... Uh, that's a pretty big deal for us. It's been a lot of fun. We're in that uh, that episode. We're talking about our ten favorite movies of the decade overall. So, and I know at least one of the movies that you and I talked about here um, last time I was on your show appeared in my my top ten of the decade overall. So um, that was a that was a nice little. I got a good primer going coming on this show <laughs> to good, get ready good. For, for that episode, which is great. But yeah, every week we talk about the most recent big movie typically that's in theaters or whatever's usually top of the box office. That's usually what we're talking about. And then in our, uh, our Patreon feed, our VIP feed, like we like to call it, um, we, we do at least one throwback review every, every week. So, uh, lots of fun stuff there. And, uh, 
and it just kind of this year last year we did like a harry potter retrospective because my co-host kent had never seen any of the harry potter movies oh um, really so we, we yeah i know it's kind of crazy never never seen one never read them anything like that so we went through that over the course of the year we started in january and and uh our last throwback of the year last year was uh was deathly hollows part two so we're trying to find stuff like that to do as well. In addition to the normal throwbacks, this year we're we're going through Seinfeld season by season. So we already have a, a review up in that VIP feed for season one, um, and then season two will be at the end of this month. I've never seen Seinfeld all the way through. I've seen like I don't know sixty or seventy percent of the episodes probably, but never. I'm in the same place. Binge mode. I've seen yeah. like a lot of spattering of it because sure, I mean it's sure. still on TV all the time. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I've been going through and, and binging it from from start to finish, and that's kind of the selling point. And then on Spread the Floor, that's a new show that, that my my buddy uh, Tobin and I started. Tobin is a, a frequent appearer on Mad About Movies, and last spring we started doing sort of a, a bonus spinoff show on the, on our VIP feed, just talking about the, the NBA playoffs and stuff like that. And then uh, when the NBA season rolled around this year, we decided to, to give it a go. So we've got, I don't know, 40 episodes of that out, something like that, and... Uh, and it's rounding into shape. It's it's much smaller than Mad About Movies, and that's okay because we're still getting good at it. But uh, it's a new role for me being a host instead of getting to react to what the uh, you know Kent, my co-host on uh, Mad About Movies, says. So anyway, we're it's it slowly I think is turning into a good show, and and it's a lot of fun. So if you're a basketball fan, uh, we'd love for you to come over there and listen to you that listen to us there. Well, everyone go follow you guys, and um, it, it's something we talked about when when you guys came on. You, you're the real, really the OGs of movie podcasting, <laughs> um, and you did, you mentioned your VIP feed. You told me uh, off mic that you guys have an episode on the movie that, that we are covering today uh, out on your VIP feed, so when we're done here, everyone go check that out. Uh, today we're talking about Field of Dreams, the 1989 fantasy drama sports film. There's not many fantasy drama sports films. <laughs> uh, an Iowa corn farmer hearing voices interprets them as a command to build a baseball diamond in his fields. As he does, he does in the 1919 Chicago White Sox uh, come to play ball. It's based on the 1982 magic realist novel Shoeless Joe by author W.P. Kinsella. It's got a great cast, starred Kevin Costner, Amy Madigan, Ray Liotta, James Earl Jones, and the final performance of Burt Lancaster was directed by Phil Alden Robinson, got an 86% on Rotten Tomatoes, grossed $84.4 million in, in 1989 dollars, was nominated for Best Picture, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Original Score. It lost Best Picture and Best Adapted Screenplay to Driving Miss Daisy, which has aged horribly, <laughs> and lost Original Score to The Little Mermaid. And I, I'm not going to say anything. Little Mermaid's really good. Yeah, it's, Little it's, Mermaid's it's, a classic. Really, yeah, really good. Okay. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about it. Um, you know, this movie's pretty definitive proof that the profession of farming might drive you crazy. And uh, it, it's like potentially the craziest but best case scenario for a midlife crisis. It's as unique a sports movie, I think, as there, as there is in the genre. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's, it's almost, I threw this out on our, um, we have a Discord page or, th- or whatever, server, whatever you call it. I'm not very tech savvy, but um, our VIPs talked me into setting this thing up. And it's turned out to be a really cool thing. It's, a, it's all day, every day, pretty much. There's conversation going on in there about movies and sports and everything else. And, uh, I threw that out in our, in our discord today and just said, okay, what's, you know, what's the best baseball movie? And I had two or three people 
come back talking about this one about Field of Dreams and said it's a great movie. It's just not a baseball movie. It's a fan. I think I think it's a fantasy movie, not not baseball. I was like, that's okay. That's fair. I mean, that's I disagree, but that's interesting. Um, but you're right because it's it's a this is a pretty unique circumstances that are taking place in this movie as compared to whatever Bull Durham or Major League or whatever else you want to throw out as a you know as a great baseball movie. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't thrive on on action or winning or losing or any mm-hmm. sort of intense drama really, at least on field drama. It's all like chills, nostalgia, raw emotion. It does it with like the score, uh, yeah. you know, themes of, of parenthood, loss, and but it the reason I think it's a sports movie and a, a baseball movie is it it relies on everything that's beautiful about baseball. I mean, it mm-hmm. slams you over the head with it, but it, I think it works. Uh, that it's as someone like I'm a baseball diehard, and it it is something you to really enjoy and get feel the dreams and get it as a baseball movie. You have to kind of accept that it is going to be a sappy nostalgia baseball trip, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. once you can embrace that. I, I think there's you have if you embrace that you have no choice to believe that it is both a baseball movie and a really good movie. I I wholly agree. I'm not as big of a baseball guy. We were talking off air. I'm I'm a basketball guy through and through. I grew up. I hated baseball as a kid uh, because I was just really terrible at it. And uh, and you know my first organized sports experience was playing t-ball at you know whatever five or something and I was I was the right fielder on a team that didn't win a game the entire season so that should tell you I was the worst player on the worst team you know and um that's tough yeah it's tough it's tough I just had no didn't enjoy it at all uh until maybe not my teen years but close close to my teen years anyway and then then kind of came to it later uh in a you know in large part due to the influx of baseball movies that came out during that time period, the A League of Your Own and um, uh, Little Big League and Rookie of the Year and Sandlot and all those movies that kind of hit the, at the right time for me at my age. And then also King Griffey Jr. King Griffey Jr. was just so much fun to watch play baseball. Um, and that that love, love of watching him play kind of opened up the game to me a little bit in a way that's that was never the same for me with basketball like basketball I loved the sport um from really from the first time I I really watched the first game I went to I was just like I love this this is you know where's this been all my life um whereas again for baseball Griffey kind of unlocked the sport for me and made me appreciate what was great about it with the villain of of little big league yeah, Ken Griffey yeah, Jr. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm a rookie of the year guy uh, when it comes to to the rookie of the year versus little big league debate. But but Griffey's my guy. That's and, a debate uh, we will not see. I know. I look. I listened to your episode and uh, I canceled my appearance uh, several times, but you were able to talk me back into to coming here. So yeah, I um, stand little big league. <laughs> little big league's great, but rookie of the year is great too. Um, and I won't hear the slander on it. Uh, yeah, I'm, but anyway, I'm staring at a, a poster, um, a print of of uh, King Griffey Jr. right now um, in my office, and in in that he he opened up. But the to to get back to to this movie, I think you're spot on. This is there's a romanticism of about baseball that doesn't exist for any other sport, American one, at least in America. Um, yeah, I'm sure 
uh, Brits feel this way about soccer or something, but, um, or football, I apologize, but, uh, but at least as far as America goes, um, football is awesome is, is, has become our national sport. I love, you know, I have a deep, deep love for basketball. Other sports are great. Baseball has this romantic thing going that just is, I think is missing from, from the other sports. And, this movie because Kevin Costner is like the poster child for the romanticism of baseball, you know, he's this so movie, earnest about it. Oh, absolutely. But this movie for, for a certain a generation or three, maybe something in there, I think it, it does. It is kind of, it crosses generational boundaries, but for a certain set of people like this is to me, I think is the baseball movie because of that, because it has that, it really hits hard on that, that aspect of baseball that is again is unique to this sport compared to to any other american sport i mean to quote the fictionalized version of billy bean played by academy award winner brad pitt it's awesome (laughs) to say uh, how can you not be romantic about baseball right it's beautiful uh so brian is this a hall of fame all-star starter bench warmer sports movie for you this is a Hall of Fame. This is to me. This is the best baseball movie ever. And there are other movies that certainly have the you know uh, there's there's a claim to be made or uh, an argument to be made, and that that's great. Um, I don't think I think there's probably ten baseball movies that if you say well that's the best one, I'm like okay that's fine that's fair. Uh, this one's the one that that uh, takes the cake for me. I just have so many fun memories of seeing this film uh, on whatever TBS or something uh, on a Sunday afternoon and just getting completely wrapped up in what was happening, even though I've seen it a dozen times and I know, I know what's going to happen. Um, I love the monologues. I, I, to me, James Earl Jones monologue towards the end of the movie is, is the baseball monologue much more so than, than Costner's in, uh, in Bull Durham. Um, I just, I think it's such a perfect, perfect example again of that romanticism of baseball and um and there's just so many there's so many themes in this one that uh play directly to me because I'm a I'm a big baby and I I I like to feel things in movies when when the feelings are produced um if not organically then at least I can convince myself that they're organic you know I love a good cry man yeah oh yeah look I'm a huge anyone who's listened to our show knows it's a running joke within our our VIPs of like uh, our, our, our listeners that, that, uh, you know, did this, did this movie make Brian cry? Cause I, I cry v- frequently. I'm, I'm, I'm always ready to cry, uh, in a movie that, uh, is able to, to bring that out of me. Um, this one just really hits all the right notes. It's very Spielbergian and I'm a big Steven Spielberg guy. Steven Spielberg is my favorite director. And so it has a little bit of that Spielberg feel to it because of that, the fantasy element that you mentioned and, um, and when you tie in that sort of thing, that that Spielberg feel of fantasy into a very earnest romantic side of baseball, it's it's a re- it's a perfect it's a perfect blend for me, um, if not for anybody else. You know, I mean, I'd agree that it it is absolutely a Hall of Fame movie. You know, for all the reasons you said, and for all the reasons we're going to talk about, it's just the perfect in in it's the perfect example of why baseball is of the nostalgia of baseball, the beauty of mm-hmm. baseball. And, and that's something we're going to talk about a lot. But for me, it is not even the, it's a Hall of Fame movie. It's not the best Kevin Costner movie. It's not even the best Kevin Costner baseball movie for me. 
Uh, Brian, what is your ranking of the Costner sports film? For me, I mean, I think I think it's still in the Twitter bio of this podcast as Costner forever. He is <laughs> the sports movie actor, in my opinion. He's got uh, he's got this. He's got Field of Dreams. He's got Bull Durham, which preceded this film a uh, year before. He's got Tin Cup for Love of the Game, and then he's got Draft Day. Well, you ended you ended correctly at least. Um, yeah. I would go, and I guess McFarland USA. But I will say I have not I have not seen that the uh, the recent yeah. Disney running movie. Sure, McFarland USA is fine. Um, that you know that that's yeah. It, it's I'm fine. guessing it's, it's exactly movie. what I expect it is. Yeah, it's a B movie. I mean, it's you know that's it. It's exactly what you expect. Yes, it's 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 remember the Titans minus. 30%, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's fine. Um, if I'm ranking the Costner movies, the sport, the Costner sports movies, I definitely go this first with a bullet. This is very easy for me. I, I love Costner in Bull Durham and I love the baseball in Bull Durham. We did an episode on Bull Durham not too long ago too. And I hadn't rewatched it in a couple years. Um, is that paywall or can the listeners check man, that out? In regular you know what? Thing? I think it is, but I don't, I'm not sure. It's, well, there's 600 episodes now. I can't remember where all that. Well, just join up. the Patreon people. Yeah, totally. It's, join like, the it's, VIP. it's a buck a week to, to get access. Now you would, if you join now, you'd get access to like, I don't know, 200 throwback episodes and stuff like that. So there's plenty of stuff there. Uh, hopefully that makes it worth your while. Regardless, um, I don't love Bull Durham. Bull Durham is always like the the movie that uh, I don't know that a lot of people bring up as like the best baseball movie ever. And I, I again, I love the baseball part of Bull Durham, and I think Costner's so good. It's the Susan Sarandon of it all that really wrecks that movie. Ooh, for me. interesting. I can't, I can't handle. I can't handle her character. I've never been able to understand how. Uh, <laughs> how two men could could fight over i just could i can't i can't get to it and and i i always do this i always think okay i bet it will click this time right like as i get older i'm sure it'll click this time when i watch bill durham and instead i'm like can we please get her off the screen and get back to the baseball i want to see the baseball because i love i love costner and robbins and their their interactions and i think it gets I think it gets baseball right, especially the you know the concept of of oh it crushes baseball. Yeah, it gets that stuff done incredibly well. Um, it's just it's just the uh, the love triangle Susan Sarandon bit that I just I can't handle. I, I, I think you can handle. make the same argument in a in a way for for love of the game, mm-hmm. the, the romantic mm-hmm. aspect of that movie. I, I know a lot of people it, it's could take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, and and I I would leave it in that that movie as well, but it doesn't bother me as much, I guess. But for love of the game is not as good of a baseball movie as Bull. So I would like I would go I would go uh, I would go this Field of Dreams, Bull Durham, Ten Cup for love of the game. Um, having Kevin Costner punch me in the face and then draft day. That's what I, I think. Would, that's I think that's, that's really think. fair. That's okay. a really fair point. I think that's a fair ranking. You could probably probably flip Bull Durham. I mean, you can you can flip Bull Durham and Field of Dreams for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's get into the IMDb trivia. And now for some movies, uh, last week's episode, or uh, technically not last week. So this is an episode that's coming out in a couple weeks, but I recorded it last night with <laughs> Celtic pride, which had about eight pieces of IMDb trivia because it's not, it's not a film that deserves to have trivia. Uh-huh. Uh, Field of Dreams had 112 items on the IMDb. Nice. So I'm going to tell the listeners 
and you what uh, what I would tell you if you, you wanted to see Field of Dreams, the actual the actual place. Go visit it yourself. Go visit the IMDb page yourself. There's a lot of interesting stuff. I pulled a few notes that I thought were were kind of relevant to the to the podcast, um, to the movie. Fun stuff to talk about. There is uh, about you know 105 other things for for you to go look at. It's very interesting IMDb trivia. Um, Shoeless Joe Jackson remarks about Ty Cobb's desire to play at the, at the the Field of Dreams and says, "Quote: None of us could none of us could stand the son of a bitch when he was alive, so we told him to stick it." <laughs> In real life, both players were very close friends. In Jackson's later life, when he ran a liquor store in South Carolina. Cobb stopped there to buy bourbon. During the sale, Jackson made no sign of recognition to Cobb until Cobb finally said, for God's sakes, Joe, don't you remember me? Jackson somberly replied, well, sure, I remember you, Ty. I just didn't think anyone wanted to remember me anymore, which makes me want to go sit in the fetal position and cry. That is a very sad. That is tough. Very sad story. Um, There was an actual Archibald Moonlight Graham. The people Terrence Mann mm-hmm. is interviewing in the bar were people who knew the real Doc Graham. They found about, out about the movie and the inclusion of Doc Graham's character. They drove from Chisholm, Minnesota to Iowa. The stories the men shared were actual stories about Doc Graham, which isn't is that very cool? endearing. Gosh, isn't that cool? Like, that's, I, that's amazing. When we did the, our episode on Phil of Dreams, I did the same thing. I always go through the IMDb page and, and anything else I can find and pick out a couple of trivia items. Um, and write them down. And I saw that. And again, as somebody who likes to cry it, I guess everything I was, I got a little, got a little dusty just reading this thinking IMDb in my office. Uh, I thought that was really cool. And then when you watch the movie, knowing that, I don't know if you, for me, at least I'll say, I would never have picked that out as, as what's happening in that scene. But once you know the backstory and then you go rewatch the movie, it's like, Oh my gosh, it totally clicks and makes sense of why that, that sequence is there and why it feels so rivetingly emotional um it for something that blue, is kind of a throwaway the blue scene hat otherwise. story makes the mm-hmm. blue hat story it, it takes yeah. it up a hundred notches oh it's, yeah, it's amazing totally. amazing seeing it in retrospect um this one is very this bit of trivia is very relevant to the the original thesis of this podcast was which was really focusing on just the sports stuff on uh, on field ray Liotta had no baseball experience and batted right-handed although shoeless joe jackson was a lefty Phil Alden Robinson allowed Leota to bat with his right, but still put him through several weeks weeks of extensive training with USC baseball coach and former Brooklyn Dodger Rod Dodeau. In order to be convincing as one of the sport's greatest hitters, Leota eventually developed a good swing. The scene where Costner hits a line drive, where he hits a line drive straight back at Kevin Costner, actually happened. Costner's fall on the mound was real, although it was a surprise. He stayed in character. Leota often had people point out the inaccuracy to him, to which he would respond, none of the players ever came back to life either, which is something I can definitely see Ray Leota saying. <laughs> Chantix Ray. Yeah, that's great. That's that's very, that's spot on. Goodfellas Ray Leota, I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty uh, pretty cool run he goes on, just this and Goodfellas back to back. Yeah. Um, James Earl Jones said he had J.D. Salinger in mind and worked hard to translate him into the, the black journalist character. J.D. Salinger very famously... Uh, very uh, went very MIA after Catcher in the Rye. Just lived up in his, I, I believe, New Hampshire. Just lived in kind of the the boonies in New mm-hmm. Hampshire. Um, I, I left off most of the kind of casting what if stuff, but Tom Hanks was originally offered the role of Ray Kinsella, but turned it down. Would have been interesting. I think this. I mean, Tom Hanks is the great, the great Tom Hanks. I mean, he's, there's almost no one who's ever been better than Tom Hanks. This might be one of the rare movies that is better off without Tom Hanks. I think I think Costner's the right guy for that role. 
I think his like Hanks plays naive well enough. Yeah, and there's like this. I love Costner. I'm with you. Costner's one of my favorite actors. There's a there's a slight woodenness to almost everything that he he did, especially in his his prime. There's like this. It's a little stiff and like he's one second away from from asking for his line you know if that makes sense it's like it's a thing that always plays with him and i think that really works for this character because it gives him a little bit of an air of he doesn't know what's happening and it, it just i don't know it plays really well for for a movie that is blending fantasy with baseball and so anyway i love hanks and i'm i'm there are very few movies that you could say, well, the, Hanks was up for it. And I'm like, ah, oh, dang, Hanks would have been great at that. This is one of the ones that I, I think the the cast is the casting is the right call. Costner is better for this movie than Hanks would have been. I agree. And that's something we're, we're definitely going to get into, uh, Costner. The voice is credited simply as, quote, himself, and the identity of the actor provided remains unknown. W.P. Kinsella believes he the voice was Ed Harris, the real-life husband of Amy Madigan. That'd be hmm. kind of interesting. Others have speculated the voice was performed by Ray Liotta, Timothy Busfield, or Kevin Costner. Interesting. And then uh, the, the last, and th- this is kind of relative to what we were just talking about with Costner, the only Best Picture nominee that year not to be nominated for Best Actor or in either of the lead acting categories or in any acting category. And yeah, and that stinks. I don't. I would probably like to uh, have the Academy redo that and and put him in there. So good. yeah, he's if you if you'd wanted co- it's it's a loaded. It was a loaded Best Actor category. It was. Uh, Daniel Day Lewis wins for My Left Foot. Uh, Cruz is in there. Born on the Fourth of July. Morgan Freeman's in there for Driving Miss Daisy. Uh, Robin Williams for Dead Poet Society and Kenneth Branagh for I always mispronounce his last name, but for mm-hmm. uh, Henry V. I think it's Henry V. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, it's pretty loaded, but you 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 could have snuck uh, you could have snuck James Earl Jones in there. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. He, he's and not he going to win. Sure loses, that was uh, Denzel. Yeah, Denzel wins that a hundred times out of a hundred for that role. But sure, you could you could for sure. Uh, put and you should I think you should put James Earl Jones here for over I mean come on Dan Aykroyd what are we doing uh the The star of Celtic pride Dan Aykroyd (laughs) yeah that one seems like a pretty easy a pretty easy fix uh if you don't want to go to to the great Martin Landau or or Marlon Brando uh yeah we could we could sub out Dan Aykroyd and driving Miss Daisy for for James Earl Jones I think I think we could all agree on that I I think that'd be a fair point if they they did the the 30-year Oscars um, let's take a quick break. Let's let's hear from our sponsors and we will get into best scenes. Hey guys, taking a quick second to talk to you about our new sponsor, Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all things sports. March Madness, the Masters, and MLB opening day are right around the corner. Bet Online has you covered for all your latest news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. And when you sign up, you receive a 50% welcome bonus. You can throw that welcome bonus on the Minnesota Twins to win the American League. I told you about that last week. I'm still hitting that. It's a twinge year, folks. Uh, also, the Wilder Fury rematch goes down this Saturday night. Can't think of a better way to wager on the fight than doing it with free money, that 50% welcome bonus. Head over to betonline.ag, use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. I signed up super easy. If you're into betting, it's a fantastic way to support this podcast. Again, that's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, when you sign up at betonline.ag. 
Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Now back to Field of Dreams. Okay, and we're back. Uh, Brian, let's get into the best scenes in this movie. I'll kind of run through some nominees. We'll, you know, we'll see if they line up, see if I miss anything, and then we'll uh, we'll pick one. Uh, first one for me is the the baseball, the building the stadium, that montage, and Ray explaining to Karen Shoeless Joe's backstory. It builds immediate audience sympathy for the guy. That it, it makes it, it it's kind of uh, it makes when he finally shows up that payoff. Um, nowadays, everyone knows about him, but it's really because of this movie and Eight Men Out, I think. Ty Cobb called him the greatest left fielder of all time. He said his glove was a place where triples go to die. Could he hit? Could he hit? Lifetime average, 356, third highest in history. Why'd they call him Shoeless Joe? Well, when he was still in the minors, he'd bought a new pair of spikes and they hurt his feet. So about the sixth inning, he took them off and played the rest of the game in just his socks. The other players kidded him, called him Shoeless Joe, and the name stuck. Yes. No, I totally agree. That's uh, one of the best things about the movie, I think, is is that it's that scene that you that you mentioned, and it's it's the, the preamble leading up to that. It's really quick and just says, it kind of drops you into this situation, and doesn't really try to give you any explainer on why this is happening or really too much build up to like he's in a cornfield and then he hears the voice and now he's building a baseball field and maybe that's hard to to rectify if you're really trying to like you know pull threads and figure things out but to me I love that I love the simplicity when it comes to fantasy or sci-fi or anything like that I think it's all it's nine times out of ten the best choice you can make is just to drop it in, give you two lines of exposition and then just go and trust that the audience is going to go along with you rather than, okay, we got to make sure that the audience understands this and go back and back. You know what I mean? And and this movie does that so beautifully and then gives you, you mentioned that gray montage scene where he's just immediately is building a baseball field and it's super cool and it works really well. And, um, and it, it, you get, I think you get all that you need exposition wise to understand, uh, who this guy is and where this movie is going. Yeah, and it lays a few bricks for the his pain, yes. the the eventual the, the the cause for this field, the the cause for this entire movie, this entire scenario. It lays a few bricks for that, but it doesn't hit you over the head with, man, he, he th- this relationship with his dad was not what he wanted, and mm-hmm. is a, a real cause of internal internal pain for his, for his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't, Absolutely. and and it and it lays a few. The, the movie gradually lays bricks with that until mm-hmm. you get the final payoff and you get tears. Um, that goes into the, the scene where Shoeless Joe shows up. It is it's perfectly quiet. Uh, you know, neither talks much. Which, like you think about it, you wouldn't when you're seeing. You know, mm-hmm. for both of them, it's surreal. Uh, besides Joe's two monologues, which are just completely chill inducing. Uh, it's it's when you first realize I think that the score is gonna be what the score is in this movie, which is mm-hmm. just just incredible. I, I think it's it's the first real taste of that. I I love love that scene. Yeah, no, I agree. It's it's there. This movie is like a lot of great scenes. I mean, it's it's a tough pick your favorite scene kind of movie because it's it's 
there's 40. I mean, there's 40 really, really good scenes. Really well-crafted movie. Really well-crafted movie. Overall. It's almost everything. Uh, there's the first game where all the old players show, the the, the 1919 socks show up. Mm-hmm. And you see that joy. That's more of a fun scene. Yes. Um, that's, yeah. you, you yeah, get them uh, talking trash to each other and all that kind of stuff. Art yeah, LaFleur in there. Uh, <laughs> the, the babe from the, the Sandlot. Babe. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, uh, the Terrence man, this is the only like non baseball related thing really, or at least like main story plot, the Terrence man book banning town meeting, uh, mm-hmm. which is where, um, Annie really gets to shine. Yes. Which is good. Yeah. The, uh, the, at least he's not a book burner, you Nazi cow. And then mm-hmm. her slide <laughs> into the locker is just iconic. Right. Uh, yeah. she, she's brain it in this she's movie. Great. She's always great. Yeah. Um, there's a co- I couldn't, I couldn't. The everything with Terrence Mann in Boston. So from meeting him to go the distance, because it all flows mm-hmm. together. Uh, James Earl Jones is a game. He, I mean, we we said it earlier during the trivia, but a game. He's incredible. Uh, that whole sequence is great. The one that always gets gives me gives me chills is when he flips. You know, he drops him off. He flips the van around, and he's standing there in the road. Uh, it's that's such a beautifully shot scene too. You know, with the the way that the headlights go across him and and Ray sitting in this you know terrible old van um, and, and the score just, hits like, Moonlight Graham yeah it's it's that's such a cool cool sequence and it lets to me that well it's not the best acting that Costner does in the movie because the end is where it really it really hits home but that scene where he like has that like snap his fingers you saw it too is such a cool again it's like the goosebumps and kind of get chills on it it's, and it's a uh, great scripting but also fantastic usage of the setting and the the way that the light works and the cinematography there is just super cool and it makes for that it makes that scene really pop moonlight graham you saw it so what you saw it New York Giants, 1922 he played one game he never got to bat you saw it what did I see Ray Chisholm, Minnesota I mean, we were the only ones who saw it. Did you hear the voice too? It's all right to admit it. It's what told me to find you. Did you? Did you hear it? Go the distance. Yes. Do you know what it means? Yes. What? It means we're going to Minnesota to find Moonlight Graham. So much about this movie is perfectly done. Mm-hmm. Um, there's everything in the the dot Graham backstory there like first the obit the the old nice woman reading the obit i love that that little exchange i've always loved it when he says you're terrence tells her you're a good writer and she just like pats his arm and says so are you i've always enjoyed that (laughs) Mm -hmm. i don't really know why i've always really liked it and then that goes into you know the blue hat story which we um you know that that we we talked about earlier Mm -hmm. which is just it's beautiful especially knowing that there's some truth in it um, it endears you to the character before you meet him, and then you meet Moonlight, the the eerie, the 1972, you know, the Godfather, you know, top film of the year, and then you get Burt Lancaster, and you get Moonlight Graham's story and his mm-hmm. his uh, you know his dream to to look the picture in the eye and give him a wink, like you you know you think you know what's coming. That's just that's beautiful. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. The next scene I had was was young Archie, young Moonlight's AB, uh, Shoeless Joe's advice to him. I've always kind of loved that. Mm-hmm. That that little exchange. He gets his sack fly, and it's a, you know he gets his moment. And then the last one I had was the the big reveal at oh the my end. Gosh. The yeah. 
do do you have is if you had to pick a scene, could you pick a, a best scene in this movie? No, I mean it's it's that that uh I I tie I I watched the movie today, uh for the you know five hundredth time and then I rewound after I was done crying and kind of picked okay so want to find the timestamp and whatnot and it's about a hundred or it's about an hour and twenty two minutes in when uh, James Earl Jones starts his monologue there on the baseball field. Walk out to the bleachers. Sit in shirt sleeves on a perfect afternoon. They'll find they have reserved seats somewhere along one of the baselines. Where they sat when they were children and cheered their heroes. And they'll watch the game. And it'll be as if they dipped themselves in magic waters. The memories will be so thick that I have to brush them away from their faces. Ray, when the bank opens in the morning, they'll foreclose. People will come, Ray. You're broke, Ray. You sell now or you lose everything. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It's been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time. And the movie's an hour and 42 minutes long, something like that. So it's a solid 20 minutes, basically, that is every single frame of of that entire 20 minutes. I just want to compile that into one big scene and say that's the scene. Because it just, it doesn't, it does not let up or disappoint for one second within that that whole time period. And so you get... It's so much beautiful payoff. Oh my gosh! It, it it from a storytelling perspective, I it is, it's so much better than it really had any right to be <laughs> from a story side of things. Like it's, it just works so perfectly. And then you have the right, you know, the, the when he starts his monologue, the way that the camera moves so that you see the baseball players in the background all turning and looking, or even like stepping towards. Uh, James Earl Jones while he's making his speech he's so great and there's so much tension in that moment that I you know I think if you if I was watching this for the first time as an adult instead of as an eight-year-old or whatever um, that tension would have been very palpable to me it's it's just really well done on that front and then you get uh, you know Moonlight the dot coming across the line which is just heartbreaking and beautiful all at the same time and his just unending grace in that moment too of like I'm you know I already did the thing that I came here to do and so now it's time for me to help this kid and then I'm just going to disappear and and raise uh you know I'm I'm so sorry all this sort of stuff. and then you get from there I'm sorry I'm going on and on but you get no from I mean that it, moment, I'm, I'm like replaying this in my mind <laughs> as you say it and I have the it, chills it's just the yeah. whole movie so beautiful it's so iconic it's just perfect from that but to get for, to go from this monologue that is so great and then you get the the ultimate sacrifice uh, from from Doc Graham, and then after each, it, like if that was the end of it, that's that's enough, right? Like that's 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 powerful in and of itself, and you can walk away feeling good. But you still have at least two more moments after that with I the, with with uh, Shoeless Joe telling him you were good. It's oh that kills me. It's, it's just it's such beautiful. a it hits me right right in the heart every single time. And then you get him playing catch with his dad and um 
all of those moments, they're beautifully shot. They're incredibly well-written. Their acting is very good. And they all hit on a thematic standpoint, some really important stuff. And I think that's, that's a re there's a reason why this is the movie. This is such a huge sports movie for, um, how old are you, Kyle? I'm sorry. I've, I think I asked you last this time. I'm 28. Okay, so you're a little bit younger than me, but I think you're st- you're probably like in that that same group. I think your generation, my generation, the generation before me, all the way up to like my dad's generation. This movie and Rudy are the same type of thing where it's like I think that those two movies were huge for a certain aged adult male because it was like giving them permission to emote and like to cry and have feelings and stuff and to deal with all of these psychological things that, that all of us and all of them are, are, are dealing with. And so it eases our pain. Yeah. It it eases our pain. pain. Yeah. And it gives you right to be emotional. And so you get, and, and it's not just, it's it's so Doc Graham. It's it's wanting to fulfill that goal that he you know that he never got to fulfill. It's also having affirmation from somebody else who you respect. With Shoeless Joe Jackson telling him you were good, like that's such a, that's a slept on moment because of what comes after it, you know. But that's such an important little throw in thematically right there. And then to get him uh, uh, Reagan to interact with his dad. And, uh, want to have a catch is just, gosh, that'll, you know, that there's, it's almost impossible to watch that movie and not just have tears streaming down your face in that moment. But I, I, all the other little spot there that I think is slept on again, because of where it ends up is when he first sees him and he said, I can't, I wish I would have written down the quote exactly. You may have it, but he, he says, uh, basically says I'd only saw him when he was old and beaten down with life. I've never seen him when he was young and still had uh, when the world hadn't taken you know all of that from him and that hits me every time because I think we all go through that in some way or form or fashion with uh, with our own parents because you you know you don't get to see them when they're young and looking forward to to life you see them when they've sort of like okay this is life and I got to try to make it better for my you know for my children and so anyway I'm I apologize that was like 45 minutes but it's such a great sequence and it and it just goes bam 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 throughout and all of that stuff is beautiful and perfect and hits all the right emotional notes that you want it to um while also I think staying really true to uh, the the spirit and romanticism of the sport in the midst of all that. I mean, you're not wrong with any of that. The entire, I, I would agree, the entire, the last 20 minutes is probably the best scene because you're right, it's it's really one continuous thing from when James Earl Jones' monologue starts because Mar- Mark comes out with the, with the stuff on the farm and, and that picks it up. and mm-hmm. um, But the whole movie is just built on incredible scenes. It's almost like unjust to it to to pick one. Um, yeah, it's, agree. it's beautiful. And I think I, I want to swing this into the, the most authentic and least authentic sports centric parts of the movie. Um, like we said earlier, this isn't one that's, it's typical. It's not like Boulder. There's not a ton of on field action. Um, I think the, I, for least for me is just what was in the IMDb trivia and that Shoeless Joe Jackson was left-handed. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's plain and simple. Did you have anything for least authentic? I didn't, there wasn't a lot because this this isn't yeah raw raw baseball movie totally totally no I mean like you can tell the the baseball baseball is not great when they're out there in the cornfield playing and stuff I mean you get 
the uh, the sequence with uh, with with Doc Graham with him running the bases and all that stuff is really cool, and I think seems pretty authentic. And then the the throwing because Costner, you know, is is pretty hardcore about I'm I'm gonna do my throws, whether Incredible it's this movie, movie or athlete. for love of the game or or whatever else. It's for love of the game when he got he got uh, wink wink injections. Yeah, he threw like two hundred pitches on the last <laughs> day. It felt like a hundred. <laughs> Costner's yeah. a machine, man. The uh, the oral history that someone put out of Tin Cup, I think Golf Digest did it about Tin Cup uh, a couple years back about all the golf that him and Don Johnson played and like how mm-hmm. good they got at golf. I mean, Costner's <laughs> a machine. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. No, like I I think the uh, it's not the most authentic baseball movie as far as the the baseball action, but there's nothing that jumps out to me as like, well, that's bad. That's clearly like uh the basketball scenes in fresh prince of bel-air or something you know i mean it's 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 all fine or better than fine i would say yeah well i mean in terms of the baseball action too all these guys are players from like around the 1920s and i've always talked about on this podcast there is the sliding descending scale of how realistic sports needs to look that the older the action is taking place, the less like realistic or good it needs to look just because mm-hmm. athletes weren't as good and sports look right. clunky. You look at old football reels from like the 1950s. It looks it looks ridiculous. It's terrible. One day I'll, I'll think of a name for that sliding scale. <laughs> but so with, you know, that it, it it's kind of yeah, you kind of you kind of take it as it as it goes. It, you know, it is what it is for for most authentic sports centric parts for me we we've really just already talked about it it's just baseball is the most nostalgic and beautiful sport on the planet and that for me felt authentic everything they talked about about the romanticism of it and what it means to people and just what it can represent for me felt authentic Mm -hmm. that that is baseball to me Um, yeah do you have anything else for what was the most authentic no, I think that's that's exactly it. It is in spirit baseball. I mean, it it embodies the essence of of what baseball is and that romanticism and um, when baseball is going well, the the magic of baseball. You know, I you know I started off by saying like I'm not the biggest baseball guy anymore. It's in part because uh, I'm a I'm a Texas Rangers fan and I, I, I really hate my team right now. And tough so, times, tough times. It's new yeah, stadium, it's not even that they're st- losing. Like, I can handle so losing. Hot. It's yeah, not gonna be uh, so hot when you go see him now. Yeah, it's that'll help. That'll help, but you have to. Uh, it's just been. It's a tough. It's not the losing. I feel like I need to be very clear about that. I can handle losing teams. I grew up a Mavs fan in the '90s, so um, that's like. I mean, that was like signing up to be abused every single day. It was really terrible uh, during that whole run. So I can handle losses. It's dysfunctional organizations and just all these sorts of things that just start to wear on me. Um, but all of that said, even when I'm in the midst of like, I don't really care about this sport as much, nearly as much as I used to, and I kind of hate my own team. If I go to the ballpark, it's magic. It's a magical feeling. And it's it's something that you cannot replicate, in my opinion, at at least on the professional side of things. You can't replicate that in an NBA game or an NFL game or an NHL game or, or anything like that. You know, When you get into the college ranks and you get the environment of fog allen or or cameron or something like that like that's a little bit different perhaps but as far as uh professional goes there's nothing like the magic of a of a baseball uh stadium and being in the ballpark and and all that sort of stuff and i think this movie gets that so perfectly and 
um, and really to me, and maybe, maybe I'm completely off and, and biased on this, but it, it hits those notes so perfectly without beating you over the head with baseball, um, which is kind of amazing that they're able to pull off. Like that's quite a, quite a, a high wire act, I think to make that happen, to have this much like romanticism about the sport without you coming in and be like, okay, we get it. Baseball is great, you know? And so to hit all those notes, uh, continuously for, for almost two hours is, is quite, quite an accomplishment. I think. I think it's fair to say that no movie toes that line better than this movie. No movie Mm. hits the nostalgia stuff. I mean, there are in the best baseball movies, there are some incredible big chill moments. Um, and, but this movie does it all with, with dialogue and not what's happening on the field, but it somehow still all works, Mm -hmm. which is, which is just incredible. Um, and and with that, let's get into what worked about this movie. What haven't we covered yet? That is, that is stuff that this, you know, sports centric stuff or just, just generic stuff about this movie that makes it excellent. What did, what did you have down? What worked about this movie for you that we might not have covered yet? Without discussing the emotions again, because that's a big, it's a huge part of it to me. It's this story. It's, I mean, it, it was nominated for for uh, a best screenplay, and it's it's well deserved. It's I'm very story centric when I watch a movie. When I'm 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 very I'm I'm willing to forgive a lot of things if the story flows and follows the right structure and um and develops appropriately and all that sort of stuff. In this movie that's not something that I noticed the first 500 times I watched it, you know, as a, as a, a teenager or a young adult or whatever, when you go back and you watch it through the lens of trying to be uh, critical or, or think of like what makes things work. The story structure on this is really great. Um, and I mentioned, you know, at the top, I love that they just kind of drop you into a cornfield in Iowa and say, here's the thing. Are you in? And, you know, I think most people get on board. Um, but the 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 obstacles that get set up along the way are appropriately sized, and uh, you you get these little payoff moments throughout the movie that that leads you to a build up for the final payoff, which is great. I think some movies, I don't know, I should have written down an example. Uh, some movies kind of do the opposite, where it's like it's a two hour run to get to a payoff in the last two minutes. And that, that puts so much pressure on the last two minutes. Cause if the payoff doesn't hit you right, then you're going to feel like you've wasted the last two hours with this movie. You get, um, a little bump when, uh, he get when he gets, he, he ease, ease his pain and then it, it hits him of who, who he's talking about. And then a little bit later, not much later at all. When, um, when uh, Amy Madigan is like, I had that dream last night, you got to go. Like that feels like a little payoff. And then him in Boston, that's a little payoff. And you just keep going down the, the road like that to where um, almost subconsciously you're building expectation, but also an emotional attachment to what's what's going to come at the end of the movie. And so the story structure and the screenplay is just is really superb and and deserved. a. I mean, I, I look one of the five best of the year. That's a lot of acclaim, but maybe you deserve more than that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really well paced. It's very evenly yes. paced. This movie flies by. It really uh, does. It, if you would have asked me before today, hey, how long is Field of Dreams? I would have said uh, definitely not more than ninety minutes because it just it it moves. It moves at, at a really fast pace, and I, and that's great. I love that about it. Yeah, but it's even. It doesn't it doesn't do what mm-hmm. you said like 
put everything, leave everything to where the last two minutes has to hit or it's not going to work. It's, mm-hmm. it, it, it's the, the pace is great. I mean, this movie, it, for me, it has like, there's three elements that, that if one of them does not work, this movie doesn't work. Everything else can kind of survive. I mean, everything else is perfect, but the movie would, it, it's for me, the score, which I mean, all, all due respect to Little Mermaid, which which <laughs> won Best Original Score, but the score in this movie is beautiful and makes like gives me the chills in just the best way. Uh, Costner, that that naive earnestness to get people to believe in him, but to also try to get him to believe in himself. Like that sounds mm-hmm. corny or weird, but that's kind yeah. of like what he's doing the whole movie. Is he is like, is this really happening? Am I really doing this? Um, what is all this for? Mm-hmm. And then baseball. You couldn't make this, like you said, you couldn't make this movie about about football, about basketball. It, it's those three elements have to hit, and they have to do them all perfectly, and it does. Um, it's it just all three are are perfect, and everything else flows off that. Yeah, I totally agree. That's a, yeah, that's a great way to put it. Costner's great in this. He really is. It's um, I don't know. I'd have to really go back and look and see. Okay, what's his best performance and all this sort of thing? But this is. I think this will forever be the movie that I think of first when I think of Kevin Costner. When, when his when his name gets brought up, and I'm thinking of his that's that's the first image I'm going to think of is him in the cornfield, um, and just and then all that comes with that because this is just such a such a good movie. I always think of Crash Davis from Bull Durham. Like that's always my go to. That was my pen name for a while mm-hmm. when I first started freelance writing. But after watching this, it's like he he is so perfect in this role. And I think you're right. It, it might be the pinnacle Kevin Costner. I mean, it's this. There's bold, there's, there's all his sports characters. I don't think mm-hmm. there's anything outside of his sports characters that I'm like, yeah, this is this is him. This is what I what I think of. Yeah. Um... Dances with Wolves is a slog for me. I think I've seen it twice, maybe uh-huh. like one point five times counting like cable. Mm-hmm. So for mm-hmm. me, that's not, that's not too big on my radar. Sure. Yeah. He got it at, post this run. It's like, I guess maybe Robin hood. Um, Robin hood for me is overshadowed by Robin hood, men in tights. Robin hood, <laughs> men in tights is my Robin hood. <laughs> um, that's yeah, that's fair. That's totally fair. Um, but like, I think that, that his, his run as a movie star Kind, I don't want to say it ended there because then you have, but but he turned, he tried to transition into um, a film star, if you want to differentiate between movies and film, which I don't usually do, but that's, it seemed like that's what he was trying to do because then you get Dancing with the Wolves and then he spent the next five years of his life trying to make The Postman and Waterworld and, um, and then it kind of was over at that point. The, the, the shine was off Costner and, and then he kind of went through a weird, a weird phase. He's a really good character actor, um, and somebody who I get excited now when I see him listed as either the lead in a small movie, which is, I mean, let's be fair, that's all. He's not, he's not leading. Um, I don't know, the, a Fast and Furious movie or something in in 2020. But That'd when he's the lead so in a weird. small movie, <laughs> yeah. But even better when you when I see his name fourth or fifth on the run sheet now, uh, or on the on the uh, the cast list, I get pretty excited about that because he's really good in in smaller, more contained roles. He's aging very well um, for a guy who who used to be 
a movie star. And that's not always the case. There's there's lots of there's lots of movie stars who never really find that second phase of their career or third phase, however you want to look at it. And I think he really has it in him. I'm actually I think we may be in for um a, a good Costner decade, but mostly in that realm, in in smaller roles in bigger movies or um, you know, supporting stuff. He's he and he's really good at it. He has a real gravitas on screen that uh that you want in a character actor, I think. Yeah, the two notables for me for him in the last decade, I, I haven't seen the Highwaymen the the Highwaymen yet. Mm-hmm. Um him and him and Woody Harrelson, I believe. I mean that's on my list. Um but there there's draft day which is much maligned. That movie is bad, but like Costner makes it tall it's not his fault that's what yes. they told him to say like he makes it it's like at the um you know at the end of inception when when limbo is kind of like falling apart like all the buildings are falling apart <laughs> around leo and ellen page but like mm-hmm. leo and ellen page are still on screen you're like okay things are gonna be okay like there mm-hmm. that's kind of like the entire world of draft day is falling apart around sure. kevin costner but Gosh. he's still making it tolerable and then yes. no, um, he's good in that movie. It's just yeah, that, and everything it, else about it is a complete disaster. It's, yeah, it's a disaster. And then uh, and then Bad Dad and and Man of Steel. A lot of a lot of questions about Man of Steel. He's, man, I am. That's I don't I don't want to get you angry emails from from the DC fanboys and such. So I'll just say Man of Steel is one of the greatest disappointments of my podcasting life. Um, that was the first year of us of our show. And we were all so pumped for that movie because the it's trailer one of, it's one of the best, tra- yeah, one of the incredible. best trailers ever, yeah. And the best parts of Man of Steel are the parts that involve Kevin Costner and the parts that involve Russell Crowe, and both of them die. So it's like it's a kind of a bummer that uh, that that got left behind because he's really good in that. It and, is, and but he's in the movie for ten minutes, so yeah. it's it's tough. And shouts, shouts, just shouts to Costner. He's great in this. Let's swing it back. We, I love a good Costner tangent. Um, another, but a shouts to another actress. Amy Madigan is Annie. She's excellent. She is what this movie mm-hmm. needs. Is like, she's full of enthusiasm. She's the ultimate supportive spouse. I don't think. Mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine my fiance letting me like plow our backyard and building a <laughs> baseball field. Uh, you should try after we get off the air. Yeah, I think I'll go do that. Yeah, it's it's raining outside right now. I think I think I'll go do that. <laughs> Come in drenched. You'll find that completely normal. Um, she she's like she's a spark in this movie, and this mm-hmm. movie needs a spark at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's a she's one that I think it's it's unfair that um, well, look, it's twenty twenty and this industry is still really not good at utilizing talented women in, in movies. It's a, it's a huge, it's still a huge issue. It was a much bigger issue in 1989, you know, and and for her prime kind of to be through the eighties and nineties when, I mean, 99% of roles for um, women, especially women of her age were like, supportive life and that's all I get to you know I mean just not nothing characters um it stinks because she's really good and I think uh if if her if she comes along 20 plus years later her career looks different just based on 
she would be given opportunities to be uh, to do things in movies instead of just being kind of standing on the sidelines. Because like this movie actually uses her pretty well, and she's on screen for like ten minutes, and that that's kind of indicative of uh, how how we made movies at, during this this era. And she's throwing heat in all ten of those minutes. Mm-hmm. She's just, yeah, absolutely. She's excellent. Um, what else did you have that, that worked for you about this one? I mean, we've covered a lot of, we've covered the main themes for sure. sure. And, yeah. but the, I mean, with this one, it's, there's some, you could, I mean, we could go on for probably three hours about just little things that worked, little mm-hmm. lines, little, little bits. Yeah. Want to have a catch is just a killer. I mean, that's oh, a all timer. I mean, I, I can't imagine, um, even if I wasn't somebody who cried at, at every single movie, I can't, I just can't imagine watching that and not getting choked up because it's, it's the score just, you know, just comes in so hard and, and really pounds that moment. And, um, and the look on his dad's face and the, just the way he says it too. Like he's, it's, it's like he's blurting it out. Cause he can't, he just literally, he can't contain it is so perfect and and just has it's it's just a monumental moment um in in a great movie and when when that comes on the heels of 15 minutes prior uh of james earl jones saying you know the one constant in all the years is baseball and you're just like yes baseball let's go (laughs) let's go all in emotional and pumped up and charged i mean it's just it's so good man it's so good you know what else this movie does really well that can go badly for a lot of movies? And one that comes to mind for me, it's something that I covered previously, which is why it comes to mind, is and it's a different kind of movie. It's a true story. It's We Are Marshall. We mm-hmm. Are Marshall has a ton of long monologues and speeches mm-hmm. and stuff that beats you over the head, and not a lot of them land. It's trying to like... Sure. This movie has a ton of... It has the, the Shoeless Joe monologues. He has two in one scene. The Terrence Mann monologue we talked about. Um, mm-hmm. Briefer Costner monologues kind of going on about his dad. Just longer stuff than just general conversation. And every single long monologue makes you like this movie more, which yeah. is really special. Mm-hmm. Because they're really well written. It's um, that's a I think it's a crutch within movies just in general when you get, especially when you get into any kind of drama or semi drama or whatever this, you want to classify this as, um, you, you, you end up overwriting these moments and there just aren't a lot of people who can write those really well. Like there's just not a lot of, we see movies all the time that are trying desperately, like clearly the screenwriter is trying desperately to be Aaron Sorkin. And it's like, that's cool that you love Aaron Sorkin, man. I love Aaron Sorkin too. Um, you are not Aaron Sorkin, and therefore, like this, really just doesn't play the way that you think it does because um, you know Aaron Sorkin has a has a way with words that that very few human beings ever do, and it, it's kind of similar here. It's it's yeah, We Are Marshall is a great example of like that's a really I like that movie. That's a solid sports film, um, and has a lot of emotions and tells a really important story. But you're right, there's. In a movie like that, you want to you want to kind of go in and say, okay, we get one coach speech in this, okay? Like that's the only thing we only get one, and maybe there's one other spot where we let somebody have you know that kind of moment where they they deliver a long monologue type thing, but we can't keep doing it. And We Are Marshall does that a lot, and uh, and then this one, you're right, like it does it a lot, but it's it's so perfectly written that that you you don't really even notice it. 
um, that that's continuing to happen. I mean, Leota has two monologues in one scene, and they're both amazing. When he's <laughs> talking about like the brass beds and brass spittoons in the lobbies, brass <laughs> beds in the hotel, and like talking about how much he misses baseball. I'm like, oh my god, Joe, I miss baseball too. <laughs> um, yes. This is a much yes. briefer category. I think let's we can move on to what didn't work about this movie. I I only have I only have two things. I wrote down three things that I felt like I, I just, it was my, one of them was my duty to ask you is, is it too sappy? Is it overkill? I say no. I think you say Same. no. Same. No, no, it works. It works for me on, on basically every, every, every little note that it goes into on that front. But I only have no, two I'm, things that really don't work. Uh, the cornfield fence is incredibly impractical. It's beautiful for the movie. <laughs> you have to have it. Very impractical. <laughs> Joe's hitting BP and I'm like, baseballs aren't cheap. Ray's like Ray's got to be restocking baseballs for his ghost team every day. Like they're him and Annie are on a budget. Uh, they are tight on money. Right. Like right. put up, put up a little temporary fence, Ray, like even just yeah. a little foot high thing around the corner. You're still going to have the, the, the aesthetic is still going to be there. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe the ghosts bring balls with them. I don't know. Is is that established? Maybe they they're able to come out of the cornfield with a bucket of balls. Just a thought. I, I would know, hope because they don't really <laughs> they don't really do a lot of heavy yeah. lifting. They just kind of show uh-huh. up. Yeah. Um. Yeah. The only other thing I have, I feel legitimately bad for Mark, who's painted as a jerk. But <laughs> I mean, he's got the paint. Imagine being being him and like yeah. you're hippie liberal brother-in-law <laughs> is like comes to Iowa like he's having to put up with him like you can tell he doesn't like your family he's just sticking around and then like he builds a baseball field he's telling you that there are imaginary ghost baseball players playing on it. and he's like <laughs> and Costner is saying that to Mark in that final scene with like the air of hey man you're crazy that you don't <laughs> right. see yeah. these ghosts yeah. and Mark's just like I could have this property for basically like me and my me and my partners. Like, I, I, he even says it. I'm doing this because I love my sister. Like he's doing Costner legitimate huge financial favor. Uh-huh. Yeah, and Mark's painted like the bad yeah. guy. I, it's it's terrible <laughs> for for Timothy Busfield, the star of Little Big League, Sweet Swing, and Lou Collins. It's a terrible look. It is tough. It's it's tough for him. Um, I will say Timothy Busfield has like a real punchable face. So that probably adds a little bit of it uh, of, to this element too. Like he's kind of perfectly cast. If you're going to go that route, I like him. I'm not anti Timothy Busfield, but when you take him uh, and then you kind of give him this character, I'm like, yeah, I want to punch him. I want, I want to fight that guy. He's, so he's punchable with the beard because he shaves <laughs> know, it off yeah. in little big league. Yeah. And like, I, God, uh, I love Luke Collins. He yeah. was like my third favorite twins player. Yeah growing up and he was fake <laughs> yeah he's just he's real smart swarmy in this and he drives a jeep and you just know that like a jeep in iowa in 1989 just makes you a total tool you just know it you just you just feel that not that driving a jeep makes you a tool just in this movie in this context the way he pulls up in that jeep you're just like ugh, i hate this guy yeah. i know it's, it's uh, they paint it's not him real so fair badly. to him but i kind of I, i'm okay with it i dig it shouts to danny Cannon from the west wing <laughs> uh, yes. did you have anything that didn't work um i tried to think about that uh this time through just just because i'm usually when we reviewed it i'm just so effusive on this movie and i, I if i remember correctly i don't think kent or richard loved it nearly as much as i do um, well they're wrong <laughs> they're wrong but it's okay to be wrong sometimes um as i tried to think of stuff like is there is there be i mean it is it is very 
emotional and it plays hard on what we've mentioned before, the romanticism of baseball. And so I would get, if I had a criticism, I would say it's probably really hard to sell this movie to somebody who doesn't have much feelings towards baseball and or anything have like (laughs) father, son, child, parent things going on, you know, like all of the, the emotionalism of, of that sort of stuff. So maybe it would be tough to sell to, um, my friends, my younger friends who don't, who don't give a rip about baseball. Um, I don't know if that's a fair criticism, but maybe that's, that's the, the one thing that I would say it's, it maybe doesn't, doesn't carry over to everybody. It's not as universal as, uh, as it may have been to your generation and up Kyle. Like I, I would, I would guess that I work with kids, uh, and, and have a lot of teenagers teenagers that come back through and work for me and with me and stuff. And I wonder if, if I tried to show this movie to some of those kids who aren't baseball fans, if they would have any interest in it whatsoever. And I don't know. That would be an excellent experiment. And I would like, (laughs) I would like some feedback on that. If you, uh, if you make, okay, I'll try, I'll try to make that happen. Yeah. The Kevin Costner and Freddie Prince Jr. Awards for best and worst on-screen athlete. Can you guess who my best on-screen athlete is? Is it Costner? It's Ke- he's great. It's Kevin Costner throwing yeah, that BP to Shoeless sure. Joe. God, he looks yeah. good. <laughs> he's so good. He's such an athlete. God, that Costner. Um, did, did you? There wasn't really anyone notable. Everyone's kind of the same, honestly. Yeah. I mean, look, Art LaFleur is definitely a terrible baseball player. I don't think there's any way he's a good baseball player. I'd be shocked if it turned out that he was, like, you know, some great high school, like a linebacker. Sure, but I don't, I don't see him as some great baseball. I'm sure he. So, but if he is, they limit his on his screen time, so it's fine. You don't really see it. Yeah, they don't really give anyone. Oh man, I just got you on Art LaFleur as an as an athlete, though. Oh no! Well, played football at, at Kentucky. Okay, football. I see it. I see him as a as a as a linebacker, He's a like a fullback guy. type. Okay, yeah, yeah. I got it. it would be hard for me to to picture him as uh, some hard throwing righty or something. Uh, that would be tough. Yeah. Other than that, there's he not looks like really... he has ham hands. He looks like he just has like these huge fat finger hands. Oh so. uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, there's not really anyone else for for actor. It's a lot of quick cuts. Your, your classic thing when you're not working with Shaq and Penny and and blue chips. Just quick cuts. <laughs> you, you can get around it pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. If you're, you're not working with a ton of athletes, I could watch Kevin Costner throw BP for two hours, though. For sure. Yeah, there is great. a lot of competition for the Lenny Harris Pinch Hitter Award for Best Supporting Character. I have Leota as Shoeless Joe. Uh, James mm-hmm. Earl Jones is Terrence Mann. Burt Lancaster is Old Moonlight Graham. Frank Whaley is Young Moonlight Graham. <laughs> Timothy Busfield is Mark. Uh, Dwyer Brown is John Kinsella. And uh, Amy Madigan is Annie Kinsella. Mm-hmm. Who's your pick? It's a tough, uh, it's, it's crowded category. I think Amy Madigan's great. Yeah, they're all really good, but but I think James Earl Jones. James Earl Jones, like the has. I mean, it's partly that he's just the greatest voice in the world. Um, that helps a whole lot. But he just brings out the that the whole again. I, I keep saying the romanticism of, but gosh, when he starts talking about baseball, you're just like freaking baseball man let's do it i just i love this so much um yeah so to me it's it's him he very much should have been nominated for i understand kevin costner not getting getting a nomination that year it's a tough year blah blah, blah. uh but but james l jones for sure deser- deserved it for his role he's so good at absolutely that. iconic i'm also wondering and hoping a video like has anyone dubbed over that speech to a darth vader clip because that would be <laughs> sick <laughs> 
Like when he's when he's got his finger and he's like wagging his finger in Princess Leia's face right at the beginning of New Hope. <laughs> like, but he's just telling her about how he's amazing talking baseball, about baseball is. would <laughs> <laughs> be fun. Yeah, be iconic. Um, yeah, he. I mean, he's the pick. Uh, you know, shout out to Amy Madigan. Shout out to Burt Lancaster. Yeah, um, the uh, the scene in his in his office. Um, there, there's a there's a line in there that that I'd written down. When he says, you know, I, I feel like I, you know, I, I assume there would be other days. I didn't realize that that was the only day. And that like that hit me. It was like having this close to your dreams. And then watch them brush past you like a stranger in a crowd. At the time, you don't think much of it. You know, we just don't recognize the most significant moments of our lives while they're happening. Back then, I thought, well, there'll be other days. I didn't realize that that was the only day. Mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. hit me as yeah. far as like that's... missed opportunity or missed like right that's right. the story of life like you always think there's going to be more yeah absolutely there's not yeah um yeah i mean that's a, again the themes of this movie gosh they get those right and they they just find they found incredible ways to to kind of turn that that screw just a little bit on on several different themes and that's one of them that's that's spot on mm-hmm. yeah. okay i think the most difficult category the big chill the, the moment in the movie that the most gives you the chills. And unlike most sports movie, this isn't an action. Mm-hmm. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, I always use the, the Roy Hobbs knocking out the lights. It's not Mike Ruzioni scoring the go-ahead golden miracle. It's going to be my, mm-hmm. new, my new example. Mm-hmm. Almost everything in this movie is dialogue. Um, if you build it, he will come. I yeah. think it's probably not a big chill moment the first time you see the movie, but the, like the 500th time, the first mm-hmm. time you hear it, you're like, oh, there it is. Yeah. There it is. We're, we're, we're going. Yeah. Movie's moving. Mm-hmm. Um, when Karen says, there's a man out there on your lawn, and you get that kind of ghostly score thing, and yeah. then just the whole experience of Shoeless Joe rediscovering baseball, that whole scene. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's great. Just b- both of those are great. I, I, no no uh, complaints with either of them, for sure. I would probably still go with... Uh, we want to have a catch. Oh, I'm not because even. Again, I'm not even done. <laughs> <laughs> keep going. Keep going. Yeah. Um. Yeah. The the speech the the people will come speech. Mm-hmm. James Earl Jones. People people will come. I think we we've talked about it like four or five times on this podcast. You just cannot yeah. understate it. Um, and even before the hey dad, you want to have a catch when it's right when Shoeless Joe says, "If you build it, he will come." And mm-hmm. like motions mm-hmm. over to him, and that's when. Costner for like the score hits Costner sees his dad also Archie getting a sack fly Moonlight getting a sack fly right um is this heaven no it's Iowa it's like you're right it's hey dad do you want to have a catch maybe this is heaven I'd 
it's really not a hard category, <laughs> yeah. but there's yeah. just so much you have to talk about. No, everything. I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. There's a bunch. There's a bunch of 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 just really like we. I think we both have said it. It. This is a movie that is made up of really great moments, and then they're stitched together well too. And that is not always a thing. That is that's. There's plenty of movies that have some really get great scenes, but the the interconnective tissue, you know, that puts that all together just feels like it was completely forgotten. And then this one is the opposite. It's got, I don't know, 20 great scenes and, and the stuff that connects it all feels, um, relevant and important and, um, and paced really well and all that sort of stuff. So it, it, it's not just a collection of scenes, but it is, there are, a, you know, a ton that, that jump out because it's, it's just, it's really perfectly done. Mm-hmm. I think we can skip the, would this make a good 30 for 30 category? Like, I don't even know how you would make a documentary out of mm-hmm. a, a fantasy yeah. story. Well, you can make one on the field itself, you know? Yeah. The, oh, the, I would, I would love to see because apparently there, there've been some, some articles about it and they're doing the field of dreams game this year, which I think is really cool. But mm-hmm. I, I believe the field for the longest time was split down the middle, like owned by two separate people. I think you're right. That would make yeah. like a good uh, one. They do those like little 15 minute shorts, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. E60 or something. That'd be good. Right. Um, yeah, be cool. How to improve it. I don't have anything. I'll admit. Yeah, no, don't this have is a, This is a perfect movie to me. Genuinely. I mean, it, it's, it's perfect on, on, on every note as far at least as far as sports movies go for sure. Mm. Let's wrap with before more restore. Would you see a, watch a prequel, a sequel or a remake? I don't think a prequel makes much. I don't think you like, mm-hmm. that's either like, you don't want to see him that's in either K- like Cal uh, yeah. the, the Kinsella's like protesting in the, in the sixties <laughs> or Ray, like dealing with his yeah. dad Right, a his scene. dad just working at a meat packing plant or something. Yeah, just mad about not playing baseball. A yeah. sequel is like teenage Karen, like working the working the ticket at the ghost baseball field, like <laughs> pissed that she's still like stuck in <laughs> stuck in Iowa. It's like a daddy. It's like a parent daughter drama. Uh-huh. And then I don't want to see a remake. I legitimately no. think there's too much cynicism in the world to remake this movie and have it hit the same. Yeah, I totally agree. If you if I had to choose one of those three, I would say sequel, but I don't really want that. It's just more of a I want to protect this from uh from the remake thing. Um and I don't care like we get all the time cuz cuz that's like 90% of movies now, you know, is a remake or or something, uh remake sequel, long-term sequel, whatever of a movie. And we get a lot of emails and and tweets and stuff like that from people just like, "Really? They're going to remake this?" And I've just always told people I've given up. Like I don't the 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 battle, the war against against uh, remakes and reboots and sequels and prequels and all that stuff is over. We lost. It's done. So now for me, it's just about pick the right movies that um, are primed to be remade or rebooted and then do them well. And this is one that's like this is it falls in the category of don't you dare touch it. You know, just, just leave re-release it, it in theaters. Uh-huh. If you yeah. want to do that, I would, if they mm-hmm. re-release this in theaters, I would go see it because getting to hear yeah, that score here. in a theater yeah. experience mm-hmm. is like mm-hmm. nothing. And I also had like a bad, one of your, a scene you mentioned, which is one of my favorites too, when Ray flips around and you get, uh, Terrence in the, in the lights of the van saying moonlight Graham, that yes. beautiful scene. If that mm-hmm. happened in 2020, Ray's on his phone. He's plugging in his GPS. He flips the van <laughs> around. He mows over Terrence, yeah. man. And and Ray is this movie is over because Ray's yeah. uh, Ray is arrested for vehicular manslaughter. 
<laughs> it's yeah. a terrible ending. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a lot shorter movie, too. I know. It's, uh, but uh, thank God that didn't happen. Brian, <laughs> you have taken a ton of your time to talk about this movie with me. I am extremely appreciative. Really enjoyed this. Tell the folks again where they can find Mad About Movies and spread the floor. Yeah, man. Thanks. No, seriously. Thanks for this is a pleasure. Thanks for having you me. You are oh, always awesome. welcome back on Big Screen. Sports. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. You come for, come on our show sometime too. Would love to. Um, yeah, we we are mad about movies. Um, we're at mad about movies on Twitter, madaboutmoviespodcast.com. You can go. We're on every place platform where you can listen to uh, podcasts. So whatever you use, I'm sure you can find us. You want to follow us on Twitter? Do that. And when you join our VIP feed, um, which is madamoviespodcast.com slash VIP. Um, you get, uh, like I said, tons of, of throwbacks and bonus content. We do games. We just did an Oscars game. We have a movie draft going on with the, with a bunch of our VIPs through the course of the year. We have a Discord channel that's really popping and has been a, really turned out to be a lot of fun. Um, so we'd love to have you come check that out. And if you're a basketball fan, again, my, uh, my basketball podcast is called Spread the Floor. It's at Spread, spread Floor NBA. Uh, because somebody has spread the floor <laughs> on Twitter. Someone um, has big screen sports on Twitter as well. Win, we are man. at big underscore screen sport. Thanks, it's, guy it's, who doesn't yeah. use the handle. Dude, it kills me. I don't know if you've thought about I we there used to be some I'm I'm sorry, I'm taking way more there used to be somebody who had at Mad About Movies and he hadn't tweeted really in a couple years and I, I figured out who he was. He was like a part-time movie critic in like Oregon or something and so I just emailed him and very politely was like would you be willing and he was like yeah sure absolutely and acquiesce and it's and it's great um yeah the big but somebody has like my guy name. has been inactive since 2012 has never tweeted there's no link oh, he is God. he is a miss he is uh db cooper the guy who just has big screen sport uh is running a blog I'm not going to disparage anyone for trying it out <laughs> in content but it's not. I, I yeah. emailed him about it. He's he's not selling. So we are not at big it. underscore not screen helping, sport yeah. for the foreseeable future. That's that's, that's the way it goes sometimes. But yeah. Anyway, the basketball show is called Spread the Floor, and we also are on. Pre, I think every every platform that you can find it. We are. It's small. It's new. Um, we're still trying to to find a little bit of a foothold. So if you are uh, an NBA fan, um, and we try to keep make it fun too. I think it has the right the spirit of Mad About Movies. Of um, we take this seriously, but we're also gonna you know have some fun and and uh, talk crap about teams we dislike and things like that. And just uh, hopefully finding the right medium on that. But yeah, come, come check us out. Mad about movies and spread the floor. Everyone go check that out. Brian, thank you so much for taking the time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Kyle. Appreciate it. And if you enjoyed this episode of Big Screen Sports, if you haven't yet, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Uh, leave a five-star rating and a review. Let me know what you thought about the episode, what you thought of the, the previous episodes in Oscars month. Please also go check the feed for past episodes. We might have covered one of your favorite or least favorite movies. All episodes are pretty evergreen. Also, go check out From Phenom to the Farm, an interview series presented by Baseball America. It's a project I'm really happy about. Episodes coming out every other Tuesday. Last week, uh, interviewed Eric O'Flaherty, former Braves left-handed pitcher. If you're a baseball fan or, or just like the stories of athletes, Go check that out. Next week on this podcast, we've got a, a fellow Blue Wire host. Uh, the guys over at Bronx Pinstripes are going to be covering Pride of the Yankees for the last episode of Oscar Month. That is a, a movie from the 40s. will be the oldest movie that we've ever done in this podcast. Uh, guys from you know Bronx Pinstripes do a great job. Should be a great episode. And I will see you next week. Thanks.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.